Well, during the Christmas season, we are doing a series on Christmas fathers and mothers. We started by talking about God the Father purposing the eternal covenant of redemption. This is the title given to the eternal agreement between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, an agreement to save elect sinners by grace, by the grace of God alone. And in this eternal agreement, we see that salvation was purposed by God the Father, accomplished by God the Son, and then applied to individual people by God the Spirit. And this eternal covenant is really behind the other covenants that we see in Scripture, culminating in the new covenant. God's covenant promises came into play as we considered Zechariah and Elizabeth last week and will come into play this week as well. So last week we did look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, they were both righteous in the sight of God, uh, lived godly lives, and while serving his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him that his wife Elizabeth would have a child even though she was barren. The child will be named John, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And after John's birth, Zechariah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a song of praise and prophecy. And within that song of praise, he, he referred to God's covenant promises regarding the Messiah. Well, today we're going to look at Joseph and Mary. Just like Zechariah, an angel appeared to Joseph, also to Mary, to reveal to them that Mary was going to be pregnant with the Christ child. So as we look at their situations and their responses, uh, we see much about the kind of people that they were. So our first main point is this. The godliness of Joseph and Mary prepared them to respond with true faith in unique and challenging circumstances. So let's look first at the angel's appearance to Joseph. This is Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, they shall bear a son, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew makes sure that we recognize, that we know that Joseph was a descendant of David. Uh, that's important because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Joseph has realized that Mary was pregnant and had a real dilemma on what he was going to do. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream to make sure he understood what the situation actually was, who the child actually was. He was Emmanuel. And Joseph handled a very unique and challenging situation in a godly way, which we'll look at as we uh, continue this morning. But now let's look over at what happened with Mary. This is Luke 1. 
I'm going to go ahead and read 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in, Naz in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin, virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So after Elizabeth had been pregnant for six months, the angel then appears to Mary. He made it clear that though she was a virgin, she was going to become pregnant through a work of the Holy Spirit. Her child would be the Son of God, would be the promised Messiah. Once again, a unique, completely unique and challenging situation. But God had prepared Mary so that she was able to honor God in the middle of it. Both Joseph and Mary were dedicated to the Lord before these things happened. They were clearly people of faith. They were clearly people who lived their lives according to the commandments of God, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth did. So they were ready. They were ready when they were called on to serve the Lord in some very important ways. There's at least four things that I want to mention from Joseph and Mary's example that can help us see the fruit of a godly life. The first one is this. Godly people have the desire and the ability to make wise decisions. Desire and ability to make wise decisions. In Joseph, we see a man that I would describe as having patient wisdom. He and Mary were betrothed. This was the first stage of marriage in the Jewish culture. It usually lasted for a year before the wedding night. In this time of betrothal, the couple did not live together. We see in Matthew 1.18 that during this time, Mary was found to be with child. Joseph assumed that she must have been unfaithful to him. That was the only logical conclusion. But as a righteous man, he began to reason from the scriptures on what the correct response should be. That's wise. Wisdom always considers what the word of God has to say about the situation, about the decision in front of us. The Old Testament law says that Joseph had the option of having Mary put to death for adultery. He doesn't want to go that direction. He feels a private divorce would be the most righteous way to handle the situation. Joseph loved Mary in righteous ways. And that righteous love meant that he was wise. The most natural response for a man in this situation would be to become angry, to become jealous, and then let those feelings determine what his actions are going to be. Joseph so shows amazing self-restraint 
And again, that's characteristic of someone who is wise. He did not come up with a plan to lash out at Mary or get revenge. That would not be righteous. It would not be wise. Instead, he was patient, and God intervened. Mary also also showed wisdom beyond her years as she patiently listened to what Gabriel was saying to her. We are told that she was perplexed. We are told that she pondered what was being said. She asked a logical question when told she was going to be pregnant. How can this be since I'm a virgin? That's not a question of unbelief. It's a wise question to ask to gain a better understanding of what you've just been told. No one in the history of the world has been faced with the situation that Joseph and Mary were faced with. And they both responded wisely. That happened because they were godly people. Godly people have a desire to make wise decisions. Next, we can learn from Joseph and Mary that godly people respond to God's word and faith. Respond to God's word and faith. So in response to her pondering of the situation and her question about how this is possible, the angel spoke to her the word of the Lord that had been given to him to relay to her. And here's what he had to say. I'll read it again. Uh, in verse 30. The angel said of Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You, will sh- you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a child in her old age, She who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's mind is obviously racing as she hears what Gabriel is saying to her. Gabriel has basically just quoted to her Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. It's dawning on her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Her response is not one of unbelief, but of wondering how this could happen. Gabriel tells her it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit that will cause her to conceive. It will be something that man has nothing to do with. It will be solely the action of the Spirit of God. Gabriel also tells Mary about how her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant, even in her old age. And then says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary believes this word from the Lord, and she says, May it be done to me according to your word. Mary was a godly young woman in a unique and challenging situation, and she responded in faith. Joseph had to do the same thing. In his dream, the angel of the Lord told him the same thing that Gabriel had told Mary several months earlier. Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and that child was Jesus, the Messiah, who had been prophesied by Isaiah. Clearly, mind-boggling information. But Joseph knew of the prophecies. He knew the character of Mary, and he believed what the angel told him. 
Both Joseph and Mary responded to God's word in faith. They had been accustomed to believing the scriptures, so this was nothing new. And by God's grace, they were also able to believe these words from God that seemed truly unbelievable to the ears of man. Well, their faith leads to this next point. Godly people live in humble submission to the Lord. Live in humble submission to the Lord. When the angel communicated God's word to Joseph, he not only believed, but he put his faith into action. Matthew 1, 24 and 25 says, Joseph awoke from his dream. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly as he was commanded to do. He believed, and therefore he humbly obeyed. He took Mary as his wife in spite of how it was going to look to others. He is going to have to deal with people gossiping about Mary. He was going to deal with judgmental looks and comments, but Joseph knew what the truth was. He believed the word of God and then acted in humble submission to him in spite of what it was going to cost. He did the same thing when Herod was doing his best to see that their child would be killed. This is Matthew chapter 2, 13 and 14. When they had gone, this is speaking of the... uh, the Magi, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Immediate obedience to the Lord. Did it again. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. Once again, just immediate, prompt obedience. This is what it looks like to live in humble submission to the Lord. Mary did it too. Over back on chapter Luke, over in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, speaking of herself, may it be done to me according to your word. This is, a, this is a statement of faith, as we mentioned earlier, but it's also Mary saying, Lord, I'm your devoted servant. I'm at your disposal to do whatever you want me to do. Surely she had more questions she could have asked, but she doesn't ask them. She's content with what she's been told. And Mary adds, may it be done to me according to your word. Just, it really is amazing when you even try to comprehend what this would have been like. What, would, what, would, what were some questions she didn't ask? How am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? He doesn't know about this. 
And so regardless of the ridicule that she was going to encounter, regardless of how others are going to misunderstand, Mary exhibits just a wonderful example of submission to the Lord. Joseph and Mary both are just great examples of godly people living in humble submission to God, even when the situation was really hard. Well, finally, in Joseph and Mary, we see, fourth, that godly people are focused on glorifying God above all else. Glorifying God above all else. This is really just a banner that flies over everything else that we've said. Because why did Joseph and Mary want to make wise decisions? Because they wanted to glorify God in their situation. Why did they willingly hear God's word and then respond in faith? Because they wanted to glorify their Lord. Why did they live their lives in humble submission to the Lord? It's because they were more interested in glorifying God than in glorifying themselves. Sometimes even godly people, we can get off track here. We can get really upset and take matters into our own hands. We can do what seems right in our eyes without even considering biblical principles. We can leave off praying when that should be our first response. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. No matter what our circumstances in life are, that is always our goal. God's glory is always what we aim at. Well, the Bible really recognizes, I know, that that's an ongoing challenge for all of God's people. And that's why I think examples like Joseph and Mary can be so helpful and so encouraging, because they did it. The next thing we're going to consider, our second main point, is the truth that was revealed to them about Christ, about the Savior. So, second main point is this. God revealed to Joseph and Mary the glory of the promised Savior. I mean, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world is the high point of all of history. All the covenants that God made in the Old, Old Testament all pointed to his coming. The prophets spoke often of different aspects of the coming of the Messiah. Everything related to the temple, to the sacrifices, to the priest, all pointed to the need for a Savior. And now Joseph and Mary are being told that the Messiah would be born to Mary. There is nothing bigger in the history of the world than this. And as much as people hate to admit it, and I enjoy reminding you of this, the reason this is year 2023 is because of this. Our calendar is based on the coming of Christ into the world. Much of the world hates that, but that's true. And it recognizes this is the most important thing in the history of the world, the coming of Christ. So what were Joseph and Mary told about him? I'm going to sum it up in three statements. First, the Son of God was born. He was born into the world as one who was fully man and therefore Emmanuel. One of the most basic and fundamental truths about Jesus Christ is that he is and always has been fully God. Another fundamental truth is that he took on human flesh. The Son of God came to earth as a man. The story of Joseph and Mary is all about the truth that the Son of God, the Messiah, was going to be born. Gabriel told Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. 
The angel told Joseph, the child who has been conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. I mean, you can't get more direct than that. So Jesus must be begotten and born because Jesus would become a man. We see evidence of his humanity all through the, uh, the Gospels. He was born. He grew. He became hungry and thirsty. He got tired. He had to sleep. He felt pain. He died. He was buried. Those are all descriptions belonging to someone who was a human being. Those are not things that are attributed to God. Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. The angel quoted from Isaiah 7, 14 and 8, 10, that the child born to Mary was Emmanuel, God with us. Gabriel also said to Mary, the child will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Then he later says, the holy child shall be called the son of God. He would be called the Son of God because it would, be, it would be clearly evident that that's who he is. Becoming man did not somehow dilute his deity. He has been God eternally, and, and, and then at, at this particular point in time, he took on human flesh. A second key truth that was revealed to Joseph and Mary was this. The Son of God would accomplish salvation for sinners. He would accomplish salvation. The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the same as the Hebrew name, Joshua. It means Jehovah saves. And then the angel explained the connection between his name and what he would do. You will call him Jehovah saves because he will save his people from their sins. This actually describes all mankind as being in the bondage of sin. If sin is not a problem, Jesus did not need to come. But the Bible and history itself emphasize that all mankind is under the rule of sin. From the time of Adam and Eve and their unbelief and their rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden until now, it is certain that we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all in need of a Savior, and only Jesus Christ fits that description. Jesus became a human being because he came to save human beings. He did not come to provide salvation for fallen angels. He came to provide salvation for people. He had to be able to identify with and be a substitute for sinful people. And since it was man who had sinned against God, in order to satisfy God's divine justice against that sin, Jesus had to suffer as a man. To be a substitute for sinful men and women, he had to be a man himself. He also had to be a man so that he could pay the price of death for sin. He came as a man so that he could suffer and die as a man. And that's because the wages of sin is death. The third key truth that was revealed to Joseph and Mary is this. The Son of God would be exalted as the eternal king over an everlasting kingdom. Gabriel especially is the one who communicates this to Mary. In Luke 1, 32 to 33, he says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. God promised David in covenant 
that he would establish David's throne forever. So that means clearly it would apply to those who would receive Jesus as the promised Christ, the one who would fill David's throne. So we're talking about Jewish believers in Christ here. But it's also clear as well, of course, that God grafted in non-Jews to be in his kingdom as well because we know that a true Jew is one who has been circumcised in heart. Their life has been changed from within. So to be part of Christ's kingdom is to have faith in Jesus as the Christ. And all who have Jesus as their king are part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus completed the salvation work that he came to accomplish, he was resurrected, ultimately seated at the right hand of the Father as the messianic king. It was prophesied that as the glorified Savior and king, he would sit at the right hand of the Father until his enemies were made a footstool for his feet. That's the baby, that's the child that Joseph and Mary were being told about. He was the Holy One who would accomplish redemption for his people and all who come to him as Savior also come to him as Lord and King. They both go together. John Calvin made this statement about the implications of this prophecy spoken to Mary by Gabriel. It's on your outline. It says, Christ extends his kingdom's boundaries far and wide and then preserves and carries it forward in uninterrupted progression to eternity. Christ's kingdom has continued to expand since he came into the world. He preserves those who are his. He also continues to extend the boundaries of his rule in the nations of the world. To be a rightful subject of the Lord Jesus really would be to imitate the faith and obedience that we see in Mary. Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Well, after Mary spoke with her relative Elizabeth, she was inspired to express her praise to the Lord in what has come to be known as Mary's song. So we want to read that. That's what we're going to focus on in our final point. I'm going to read for you uh, Luke 1, 46 to 55. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, so as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So our third main point is this. Mary rejoiced in the Lord with a song of heartfelt praise based on the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. If you notice how Mary begins in verse 46 and 47, there's, there's joy within her soul. Her spirit overflows into spoken praise and thanksgiving. I mean, she's clearly moved from her inner man over what God is doing. This is not just going through the motions. This is a lively thanksgiving. And notice what the source of her joy is. It's not, I'm going to have a baby. 
that's something to be joyful about for sure. But she connects everything with God himself. She exalts the Lord. She rejoices in God, her Savior. I mean, the ultimate source of her joy is the living God. And it's also interesting to note that you can tell by the things she says that she knew the scriptures well. There are a number of phrases that she uses that are taken from her knowledge of the Bible. And it's really a fact. Those who are well acquainted with the scriptures have a much better chance of being good prayers and good worshipers just because they have the scriptures and they know the scriptures. The first thing we see in Mary's song is this. This song of praise first exhibits a personal awareness, a personal awareness of God's saving work in Mary's life. Let me go and read again, 46 to 49. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So Mary understands that the Lord has worked in very specific ways in her life. For one thing, she's been made aware of how deeply undeserving she is. In verse 48, she speaks of her humble state. She was a young, unknown wife of a village carpenter, probably from a a poor family. She realized that she was an unlikely object of God's favor in this way. I mean, to her, I mean, to be the mother of the Messiah was just astounding. I mean, they're amazing to her. You can just see the humility that's there and just being overwhelmed by this. And this phrase about her lowly estate, by the way, can be found in Psalm 136, 23, that you can see that she was referring to something like that. She also admits that she sees the Lord as her Savior. Therefore, that means she deeply felt her own personal sin. It was from within her spirit that she rejoiced in God as her Savior. And I believe she's acknowledging that she herself had need of the salvation that the Messiah would accomplish. Like Joseph, she had been told that her child would be named Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. So her child, the promised Messiah, was also her Savior. I mean, there's no true praise until we know that to be true about ourselves. Mary also saw that God's undeserved kindness made her rich. She was blessed. Her uh, relative Elizabeth had told her that. But her blessing, she realized, is going to be blessing for the whole world. All generations, she says, are going to look back and call me blessed because she had given birth to the promised Christ. She's not looking for praise for herself in this. As she says in verse 49, it's the mighty one who's done great things for me. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. But Mary not only speaks about what Christ has done for her personally, next we also see this song of praise exalts the Lord for his work in generations down through history. In verses 50 to 53, we see that Mary not only knows her Bible, she knows her history. She has a clear sense of how God has worked in generations before her, and that influences how she sees this present work. In verse 50, she directly quotes Psalm 103, verse 17. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. So those who have a true and right fear of God 
have it because God has brought it about in their life. He's shown us our sin. He's shown us our weakness. Our weakness. He's shown us our need to be right with God. Convinced us of our need for a Savior. So He works that reverence, true reverence of God in our hearts. God is also known to be especially merciful to His own children. He's kind to all, but especially those who belong to Him. And Mary sees that not only in her own life, but she knows that's God's way of working in all who trust in Him. This coming of the Messiah was a special act of God's mercy. In verses 51 to 53, Mary speaks of how God has opposed the proud, the arrogant, the unbelieving rulers. She speaks of the rich and the wealthy who have no place for God in their life. They see themselves as being self-sufficient. God allows them to prosper for a time, but he ultimately, on his timetable, brings them down. He ultimately frustrates their projects. He takes away what they have put their confidence in. It's interesting how this history-changing work of God happening with involving Joseph and Mary has bypassed altogether the proud, the civil authorities, and the wealthy. They're not involved in any way. This once again points to the fact that it's God's work. He often crosses the expectations of men and goes a very different direction than we would expect. Mary also speaks of how God exalts the humble. Let me go and read verse 51 to 53 with you for you. He has done great mighty he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. So God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the weak. God uses the weak, the humble, the poor to accomplish his ways. And Mary is so amazed that God is using her like he is. But that's how he always works. And that gives hope to all of us. Finally, we see this. This song of praise exalts the Lord for keeping all of his covenant promises to his people. So Mary closes with another bit of scriptural truth, another reference to God's work in history. She speaks of how the child that she's carrying, the Messiah, is in direct response to God's covenant that he made with Abraham thousands of years before. In verse 54, she speaks of God's mercy to Israel. The nation of Israel was not in a good situation at this point. They had been conquered and ruled over by the Romans. Much of their religious life was mere formality. They were largely blind to what the Old Testament scriptures really taught. Their only hope is the mercy of God. Well, the coming of the Messiah is a true work of God's mercy to them. But this coming Messiah was not only coming to bless Israel. Mary speaks in verse 55 of God's promises to Abraham. God made covenant with Abraham that and promised that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. The promised seed would be Jesus Christ. God also promised, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's those who have the faith of Abraham that are the people of God. And really, this takes us back to really what we were talking about and have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. It takes us back to what was promised in the covenant of redemption. Everything that we celebrate at Christmas and at Easter was promised 
in the covenant of redemption and revealed through things in this case like Abraham, the covenant made with Abraham. Mary's song begins with gratitude with what God had done for her, but it soon expands to what God is doing for the world. It soon embraces really the whole kingdom of God in Christ. So what we see in Joseph and Mary is a kind of thing that really should make our soul exalt the Lord and make our spirit rejoice in God our Savior. Lord, we thank you for examples in the scripture like Joseph and Mary, how you took people by their own admission who realized they were unworthy. They were godly people, but they also knew they were not worthy of being put in the position that you, were, that you put them in. Thank you for the wisdom that we see there. Thank you for the faith that we see there. Thank you for their obedience. Just thank you for the desire to glorify God in every aspect of what was going on in their life. Lord, I thank you for what you revealed to them about the Savior. So many just really fun, fundamental things about the gospel and about the Savior that we all need, the Savior and Lord that we all so desperately need. And I just thank you, too, for the example of Mary's song, just a song of praise that we just always just flowed out of our heart in context with what you were doing or what you were revealing and what you had revealed in Scripture in past, and she was understanding it. Lord, help us to continue to grow in our appreciation. Help us to continue to grow and live as godly people. When we're faced with circumstances and situations where we're not sure exactly how to respond and just ask that you would help us to always want to be, to always want to glorify you as best we can understand what that means. Lord, help us. We all need help in that. If you're one who's never put your faith in Jesus Christ, a prayer like this would be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I need a Savior as well, just like Mary did, just like Joseph did. I have sin in my life. I know I do. I deserve judgment. But I thank you that Jesus Christ came into the world to suffer the punishment for my sin. And I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, as the resurrected Savior, and I want to receive him as the King and Lord of my life. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment to Christ, you can make a note on your tear-off from your bulletin, or those who are watching online can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. If you want to use the hymnal, we're going to be singing from hymn number 402.